The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Good morning or good afternoon to Fireside Chats Without the Fires. This is Neil Toff, co-host, co-creator of the aforementioned Fireside Chats Without the Fires. I love my podcast. I love my co-host and co-creator. I will never have the ability to introduce our own show with the elegance and grace and touch <laughs> that our guest just verbalized the name of our podcast with. What a sensational introduction. Paul, before we introduce you, let's hear you. Are you out there? I am, my friend. Um, I like you. I love that introduction. Maybe maybe we should ask uh, our guest to just record that for us for future podcasts, but that was brilliant. I'm very well. I'm currently suffering a bit of a heat wave in the UK, if I'm honest with you. Um, but yeah, I'm all right. I'm good, man. I'm good. Well, well let's settle back. Let's cool out because we got an amazing guest here. Absolutely. The Hugh Hessing. <laughs> He has warned us not to look at his LinkedIn profile because he doesn't really do LinkedIn very well. So eh, if you look at his LinkedIn profile, you might get a flavor. But what you're really going to get, ladies and gentlemen of this audience, in this podcast is the true flavor of our guest, the Hugh Hessing. Hugh, are you out there? I am. And, and, and good to meet you both. And I'm delighted to be here. It is sensational to have you here. The topic of today, Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Friday, August 14th, 2020. The topic of the day is what do financial services customers want today? We're going to talk about financial services. As audience, you've heard and hopefully seen, we occasionally dive into industry-specific topics. Recently, we had Jeremy Hyde, who talked to us about the airline industry, and we will continue to plunge into industry-specific uh, areas. Today, we're going to talk about financial services, and I got to admit, I'm a customer of financial services. I know a little bit. I got a, what was it? A card and chip. I got a mortgage. Pin, pin and chip. Pin and chip. <laughs> Whatever. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, we're going to talk about financial services and hear from the expert, uh, Hugh Hessing. By the way, Hugh's an expert on a ton of things. Hugh, tell the audience just a, you know, the quick elevator pitch. Who are you? Why are you here? What do they have to look forward to? Uh, hi, everyone. So um, let's just break down my LinkedIn profile into th three bite-sized chunks. One, I'm quite old. Two, I've worked predominantly in financial services all my life, from merchant banking to, to general insurance, to commercial insurance, to life and pensions, you name it. I've been around it. And all throughout my career, I've seeked to improve performance of every business I've been part of I've, or run or consulted on. Um, but I predominantly focused a lot of my energy around thinking about customer first, but being exceptionally commercial with it. So hopefully you'll enjoy my thoughts or insights um, uh, as we go through today. Sensational. So let's get right into the topic of FS, as you refer to it, financial services. Um, financial services includes, in my uh, non-expert summary, it includes retail banking. It could include uh, lending, it could in consumer lending, it could include um, the issuance of credit cards, 
debit cards and or credit cards. It could uh, include the issue, issuance or creation of policies of around different types of insurance. It could, of course, include well, what we call mortgages here or lending to yeah. a home or apartment. Uh, and then uh, savings and retirement and, and, and other savings vehicles that uh, 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 people trust the bank to hold on to uh, their, their, their financial resources. Anything I missed? Or I think that, that's, that's... Well, I think, that's, I think from a consumer side, that's fairly com you know, comprehensive list that you've just given there. So what do consumers, individuals, customers want out of their financial services institutions today? Um, sounds pretty easy, what I'm about to say. It's bloody difficult to perfect regularly. But um, what they want more and more is simplicity and ease. In the same way that they have their shopping experiences, their retail experiences, they want to be easy to do business with. But because you're dealing with finances, there's, a, there's some other key features that come into it. So trust is and confidence of the advice that they're getting and what you say you will do, you will do, has an added amplification. If I buy a sandwich, I don't trust that the sandwich is going to grate right because the one I had yesterday, it's, it, it, it looks the same. It typically tastes the same. Whereas if I'm transacting a mortgage, I'm going to want to trust that the money's going to be there. I'm going to want to trust that the bank is going to look after me if I hit difficult times. And in insurance, which is where I've spent the majority of my career, we sell invisible promises. There is nothing to consume. In fact, you don't consume it, and we still charge you the same, if not more, the next year when you haven't consumed it. So selling an invisible promise, even today, uh, after years of perfection, if you phone up for a household claim, 50% of customers or more will still think the insurance company isn't going to pay it. Insurance companies typically pay 95% of all household claims. So, you know, I could ask or do a little poll out to the podcast members. Life assurance. Most people, even well-educated people, still think that we pay anywhere out between 70 to 80% of our life assurance. In the UK, 99%, 99.5% of all life assurances get paid. So trust and getting over that hurdle of trust is a massive thing for financial services companies that you are going to be there when your customers need you the most. So how do you, how do you in fact establish that? Because it could be years, it could be never, even though one is paying into perpetuity for a for homeowners insurance, but they don't need to activate that policy. They don't really know what's behind the policy. As you said, most of us are so stupid. We don't read the policy. We don't really know what's there. We just know we're paying for something. Yeah. We may never get to, to, to actually need it, but when we need it is when we find out. So how do, how do you really establish that trust? Because there's such a big gap. And by the way, you're right. Consumers yeah. get dinged for it every month. So, so, so you've got to, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the back end. So the claims, you have to be renowned for your great claim service. So it's, it's what would be one of the key moments of truth in the customer experience lifecycle for a, an insurance company. So you have to be solid. You have to pay the claims. Perversely, customers want to also know that you are capturing fraudulent customers 
because they know that fraudulent customers actually rise the cost of insurance for everyone. But they want to know that when you're dealing with me, you treat me as an individual, you're quick, you're straightforward, and you do what you said you would do. So pace and accuracy of communication are critical. I'll come on to communication in a bit. On the acquisition side, be clear, don't use gobbledygook language from my American um, uh, people on the end of the phone. That means sort of like legalese wording to escape a problem further down the line. Um, but make the buying journey, it's a grudge purchase, make the buying journey really simple. I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm not getting in terms of exclusions. And actually, I think I can get a fair price. What, let's switch gears just a little bit. So in some areas of financial services, probably in retail banking, checking your balance of your account, making a payment, those are things that are probably mostly self-serve and have a level of automation incorporated in them. Uh, but then you talked about the more complex things of how do you uh, file a claim? Um, how do you communicate with your insurance agent? Between those two extremes, I, I believe that financial services is probably trending definitely towards incorporating more automation, more artificial intelligence, more yeah. bots. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, no. So, so um, and, and apologies for all of my Lemonade fans out there. Um, Aviva, which is the largest, oldest and largest insurance company in the UK that I used to work for, pay 35% of their claims on the first call. And, and it uses artificial intelligence and lots of data to be able to do decision in analytics there and then, and it pops up in front of the agent. And actually 50% of claims are now intimated digitally. So I, I start my claims journey using my mobile phone or my, my, my PC because I can just log what I've lost. And so actually, certainly in the UK, certainly in Europe, we've been digitizing our business and automating decisioning routines for a number of years. It's it's just on on an exceptionally large scale. Yeah. And it, do, do those does that do those trends translate into greater customer satisfaction, resolution, uh, higher net promoter scores, or or other voice of customer metrics? Yeah. Typically, um, our claims net promoter scores were seventy five to ninety percent across the piece. Um, pace and accuracy with which the first call happened and the claim is settled is the single biggest um, determinant. Clearly, as long as you're going to give a fair return. So on auto, if you give a relatively good match on the value of a car that may be written off, it's how quickly you make the claim payment and how quickly you settle it. What people don't want is three weeks of wrangling, 10 phone calls backwards and forwards. They want absolute clarity, absolute certainty, and you're giving a fair price. And ditto with household insurance. Um, and certainly on life assurance, um, it's the same thing. We, we actually found a way where we redesigned. We thought from a customer's perspective, and we redesigned, and we were paying about 8% of death claims on the first day because we knew the customer uh, would passed away 
we've got a doctor's certificate because you can't get a death registry unless a doctor has signed you off. And we knew the will wasn't being contested. And we were paying money back into the same bank account, which was the mo most protected thing. And customers were saying to us, this was seven years ago we did this, were saying, wow, I thought this would take months. And actually what we did, we took the claims process from 28 days down to three days on average, just because we thought through the mind of what a customer wanted. Um, but it takes time and it, you have to go through some regulatory routes, hoops and loops, but it can be done. But people want pace and certainty. And when they're buying, they want to trust the company's going to be there at the most in most difficult times. So you mentioned regulation and those of us that have done work outside the US, particularly in Europe, yeah. are aware of uh, increasing regulatory protection for consumers and for individuals. GDPR, I think, is certainly the that seems to be the main protocol uh, across Europe. Uh, we don't yet have GDPR, I believe, in North America, although we have things like the California Consumer Protection Act, CCPA, and then each individual state, some individual states are starting to enact their version of that or maybe enacting their version of that. So we have a, a hodgepodge of gobbledygook, as you, you refer to, um, uh, making uh, interacting with uh, interactions between brands and their customers that much more complex. Just a thought about uh, consumer protection in the financial services industry, um, whether it's even on your radar or not. Maybe yeah. it's just so ingrained that you don't think about it anymore. I, I, I unfortunately um, held one of the highest regulatory positions in the in in the UK for our firm Aviva, and and something that the regulator in the UK brought in. I don't know whether this is similar in the US. I was more personally accountable for any significant and serious misdemeanors before the firm. So I could be sanctioned, I could be fined, and I could be sent to prison, and then they would go after Viva. So the SMCR regime, the senior manager regime, actually places more accountability on the individual before the firm. Because actually what they were finding, they were finding firms and nothing was happening to the perpetrators of bad behaviours. Yeah. So so regulation is something that the senior people in Europe have to take exceptionally seriously. Um, sometimes, certainly GDPR and other regulations in service of what they think they're doing for customers actually puts more bureaucracy in processes. There's some great bits about GDPR, but there's also some things that really it's like closing off all of the little one percent and two percent. And actually to do that creates an extra level of burden and process for the customer and you to go through. But but it's a fine balance. So, yeah, I, we, I don't think we've perfected it in Europe, but we've certainly come a long way. If you could walk us through a very quick description of the metrics that are important in your industry. We all know and talk about service levels and how many calls did you answer and uh, average handle time and QA scores. And I'm sure those things are obviously important in, in, in your industry as they all in our industry, in all industries, but particularly in FS and financial services, are there any other metrics that you've overseen or you believe that are critical, but that make your industry different? So this is a shameless plug for something that I run in, in, in Aviva. So apologies, but, um, and it was all built off Bezos and what he did when he started off Amazon. So again, I, I, I steal lots of things 
from lots of people. Um, my operational transformation program was about lead metrics, and we called it 99 and 3. So if you imagine that I, had, I covered everything from auto insurance to pensions, annuities, uh, life and protection and health insurance. But what was common about all of our NPS data on the customers who loved us and the customers that hated us were the same two things across all products and all processes. Get it right first time and do it quickly. So our program was called 99 and 3. We want to achieve 99% first point resolution and no process takes longer than three clicks, three minutes, three days. We may never get there, but we're going to have a lot of fun trying. What it enabled us to do was mobilize the thousands of agents that we had to all get behind thinking what was getting in the way. But these were lead measures, and we were focusing on the lead. Met. Net promoter scores, absolutely fantastic, but it's bloody happened. Complaint, it's great to analyze complaints, but it's happened. These were the lead metrics that mattered the most. 99 and three. Say it again for the audience, just so we hear it. So 99% first point resolution, no process that takes longer than three seconds, three minutes, three days. We may never get there, but we're gonna have a lot of fun trying. Hugh, I'm pinching that. Mon Monday, yeah. I'm going, guys, I've got a new idea. <laughs> <laughs> We just trademarked it and we bought the URL already. But the education you have to do around lead and lag metrics with people who aren't in operations, who don't understand customer is quite significant. It's not something you could just drop in. I had to do lots of education with brilliant executive colleagues who were absolutely leaders in their fields. But just try to bring them in why these mattered when all they wanted to hear was they just wanted the NPS result to go up. They didn't care why. And I, I'm a systems thinker, so I I just endlessly think about root causal analysis. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So we're we're gonna start the descent into the final half of uh final, let's call it third of the show here. Uh we had a little bit of fun together, the three of us, before we hit the record button. Um so I, as the lone American on this show, I will say that typically uh, I'm guilty of the following. I think that those of us in the U.S. are the most innovative. We have the greatest technology. We have the greatest processes. We've, in, in essence, invented customer care and the contact center industry and customer experience. We probably invented hashtags. We probably invented the computer and the Internet. Uh, give us a response to that. What can you on the other side of the pond and in Europe show us? I, I think you are many, if not all of the things you've just listed, Neil, but where you are absolute behind the curve, you are not process experts and not customer experts. So I think you have got all the entrepreneurialism and technology innovation. That's, let, let's be really clear. The rest of the world tries to copy everything that's come out of, of the US largely in that regard. But what I found is digitization, self-service and thinking about how customers want to serve themselves, process efficiency. So, so what I see when I visit America, when I experience some American processes is 
the old industrialization thinking of fragmenting work into segments rather than equipping agents with deep knowledge and deeper skills so they can do everything for a customer. You can't do first point resolution if you're run by multiple SLAs and all that is is measuring how quickly Paul hands off his task to you, you hand off that task to me, when actually a customer just wants it done. And you've ticked your box, Paul, and said, I did it in a day. And Neil ticks his box and he did it in a day. And I tick my box. And actually, that's three days for a customer. But we're all patting ourselves on the back because we hit our SLAs. I, I haven't had an SLA put in front of me for seven years because I've, I've just got rid of them. I measure everything, by the way. I don't do SLAs. I do end-to-end -end customer satisfaction times. So when did a customer's demand get satisfied? How long is that? And I find that process thinking is all fragmented and, and siloed in many organizations. And I see it and I feel it when I visit America. Yeah. Mr. P that, that, that she does that. He does that. I do that. And it's very, it feels clunky. Customer service agents are the most people are the most malleable asset in my experience, much more than technology you will find. And if you invest in them, they will pay you back tenfold. Love it. So uh, we have been educated. I do agree with you, Hugh. I, I think it, you know it's all isn't good fun. Some boasting here, but um, there's always room for improvement. I also agree that uh, from processes, because uh, so the uh, outsourced contact center operation that uh, that I'm involved with, we are ISO certified, and in U.S. companies, you hear less and less and less of those things. The discussion of process, procedure, constant measurement, um, and, and I think it, in in we are unique in that. So I, I appreciate that. And I think those are certainly things that our, our companies can, can learn from this. This was very valuable. I, I appreciate that. Paul, what do we say as we, as we start to wind this down, we're now in about the last quarter of the show here. Yeah. Um, we have one of, no, sorry. We have two of, th of the three normal pieces. Why don't you lead us, Paul? Uh, what's the first one we're going to, we're going to ask you to well, comment on. Uh, yeah. I, I'm hoping that here I'd, so I, I'd be honest with you, right? I've loved the email exchanges that Hugh and I have had. Hugh is completely different in person than you, than you get on, on email. We were chatting before the recording. He's very, on email, very one-wordy, very phrasy, that's it. However, when you get to meet him, wonderful guy, right? Well, so when, when, he, when he replied back with saying, well, I don't really do miss, I don't really do this, I don't really do that, honestly, I was a little bit apprehensive. However... This guy's completely 360, in my opinion, right? I can't wait to get to the, So we don't have the quotes. Hugh doesn't do quotes. And after after spending time with him, I completely understand why. However, we do have a, a couple of Mythbusters, and we also do have a kind of a CX, CX hero sort of thing. So let me tag in my fellow Brit. Hugh? Yeah, no, no, thank you. So, so uh, look, Mythbusters, I, you know, I, 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 I got my, I've got my experience through living it through my failures rather than reading management books and, and stuff like that. So here's, here's just a couple, just, just pithy one-liners. We all worry about wait time and all the executives who don't understand customer experience will look at your wait time figures. And when you get into your management meetings with your peers, they'll all beat you up on abandonment rates and wait time. 
just tell them, do they understand demand? Is it good demand? And how are you servicing that demand? And what are you doing about reducing failure demand? Don't just be bold. You should be leading the organization, not responding to the organization's needs. That's number one. Um, agents can't be trusted. Well, that comes from people who, again, don't understand service operations. Agents are the most trusted people. They want to master how they can serve customers better. And we measure them more than any other part of the organization, more than underwriters, more than tellers, more than um, actuaries, more than people in finance. Yet, someone in finance, we have to hang on their every word about what they're doing working from home. Get people working from home, trust them, you can measure them, and they will just trust you, and they will do a great work. So, so there's just a couple of simple myths. And in terms of someone who I follow, but I practice servant leadership um, quite a lot. My best skill in the last five or six years is learning how to get out of the way expertly um, is, is Dan Pink and certainly the RS animation video, the surprising thing about what motivates us says a lot about me. It's a great 10 minutes, 43 seconds of your time if you go onto YouTube. Thank you very much, you. I love that. Neil? Uh, I don't know how to wrap this one up. This is, this is one where I'm kind of scratching my proverbial head here to think, how in the world do we wrap up Hugh? Because I think he just dropped a lot of knowledge on us. He dropped some ideas. He challenged us. Uh, I've learned some concepts here about 99 and 3. Yeah. I, I really appreciated the pushback because we have clients that say, oh, the abandoned rate and Q time. And <laughs> I, I would love to, in, in your, Hugh, in your uh nice way of putting it, be able to push back with the middle finger and say, do you understand the demand curve? They're offline, by the way, everyone, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you do you understand demand? Because by the way, I think that does, it does, uh, it creates so many things. Why, why did those things happen to create the situation that creates wait time and abandon and, and uh, missing service levels and all the garbledy gook that, that, that is associated with that? it's going to root cause what happened how did we get to this point that that's that's the critical piece i think uh, i would uh, i'm going to i think shut up here for just a second which is not always the easiest task for me hugh put in a shameless final plug for yourself one final thing that you'd like the audience to know maybe how to reach you something you'd like from them a request anything and anything as a goodbye to the audience. Yeah, okay, well, no, thank you guys for the opportunity to talk on Fireside Chats. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I, I decided to have six months off and leave Aviva uh, without knowing the words COVID-19 or coronavirus. So um, I'm currently looking, starting my job search now, having had a fairly fallow lockdown. Um, enjoyable, spending some time with the family that they, they've forgotten what I look like. So I'm here to help. I'm doing consulting gigs. I'm looking for work. Um, I'd love to share my knowledge if anyone was prepared to put up with me. So, uh, but thank you guys. I think we are more than happy to have put up with you for these last number of minutes. This has been an, a, a really great session. 
Absolutely. Uh, Paul, how in the world else could we summarize uh, I, what Hugh has shared with us? I, I think we're missing the biggest thing here, that Hugh is our first ever guest from the UK. Not once have we shared that, right? So that, for me, is, is, is one of the largest things. So, Hugh, thank you for being our guest, first ever guest from the UK. I've thank thoroughly you. enjoyed this podcast. And, and it's been wonderful. And I travel well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. It's been wonderful. Listen. It's been wonderful. It has been wonderful. Hugh Hessing, thank you so much for joining us. Paul and Neil, thank you. Uh, audience, thank you for tuning in as we conclude today's Fireside Chats Without the Fire. Look forward to more and more great things, great Absolutely. guests, great content. Audience, thank you. We love having you. And always look forward to your feedback, your posts, your likes, your forwards, your retweets, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Keep tuning in. Once again, Hugh Hessing, sensational guest. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.